we had done a lot of work with Unilever and their brand Axe. And if you remember, Axe is targeting college age men and it's, you know, you spray on whatever product they have, the women are supposed to flock to you. And someone at the White House, their office of engagement knew that we had done these campaigns. Their idea, which was really smart, is they thought if these guys can talk to college students about attracting women, maybe they can use those same skills and convince men that they should be part of the solution to end sexual assault. And so here we had this dilemma, this, this fact, this fact. I spent almost a decade, decade researching decade. this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices Hint. in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Welcome to Unstoppable, a podcast which shares successful founder and entrepreneur stories. Like Jessica Heron, founder of Stella and Dot, tech maven Randy Zuckerberg, and Lisa Sugar, the creator of the multi-million dollar media company Pop Sugar. We dive deep into the entrepreneurial mindset, what it takes to create a scalable business, how to make an impact, the intricacies of funding, and much, much more. Plus, we ask the million dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden, and we're here on Unstoppable with our next guest, Jason Harris. I am so excited to have Jason here today, uh, president and CEO of award-winning creative agency Mechanism. Really, really excited. You may or may not know the name, but you'll definitely recognize some of the brands that iconic brands that he's worked with, including Peloton, Disney, Adidas, Levi's, Ben and Jerry's, the White House, Nordstrom's, Amazon, and North Face, just to name a few. In addition to running this company, Jason, you also serve on the board of the United Nations Social Impact Leadership Council and Advertising Week. Wow, super cool. And advising some of the uh, members of the elite marketing 52. Yeah, and what else? What else can we talk about here that you uh, haven't done? I mean, this is amazing. Your background is super cool, but I want to jump right into you know hearing a little bit more about mechanism. Sure, yeah. So we're an independent creative agency. We've been around about 13 years. Actually started in San Francisco. I, I now I moved to New York seven years ago. We have offices in San Francisco, New York, Seattle, Chicago. And sort of our whole thing is the soul and science of storytelling. And how we define that is the soul is really the core why, what the purpose that the brand serves, why it exists in the first place, what it's trying to do that's larger than just profits uh, and selling. Obviously, we're a capitalist society, so profits are important, sales are important, but brands exist and live in the world for reasons beyond purely uh, transactional financial ones. Uh, so we always try to uncover that, and we believe in, in storytelling at its core because nobody is waiting for your, you know, pop-up ad to block what they really want to watch. But if you can tell a compelling story and brands are full and rich of deep storytelling, then you've, uh, you've, you've talked to the audience in a compelling way. And um, that's you know really what we built the, the brand on. And uh, one other thing that sort of a side hustle 
that um, I, I started four years ago. I know you did some work with uh, the Obama White House. Um, we also did. We launched a campaign to end sexual assault on college campuses called It's On Us. We launched it with Joe Biden and, and Obama. And that's really been a pivotal project. And they have chapters in 500 colleges and universities. And that's really trying to stem the, the tide of sexual assault, which is very prevalent in colleges and universities. And it's really targeting men. And it's targeting men to not be bystanders, uh, but to step in and, and create change. And it really, uh, the, the namesake it's on us is that it's, it's a problem for all of us to, to solve. And so doing social good is how we sort of use our, our advertising powers for good. And we, like, we love to do those types of campaigns uh, as well. That's awesome. How did you get involved in that? Um, it's really a funny story. We had done a lot of work with Unilever and their brand Axe. And if you remember, Axe is targeting men, college men, college age men. And it's, you know, you spray on whatever product they have, deodorant, you know, they have uh, body wash. So you put that, the, those sort of scents on and the women are supposed to flock to you. And so we really created campaigns uh, years ago for acts that were all about sort of attracting the opposite sex through this product, which was very male, young male um, uh, dominated. And someone at the White House, their Office of Engagement, knew that we had done these campaigns. And that their idea, which was really smart, is they thought if these guys can talk to college students about attracting women with you know, Unilever products, maybe they can use those same skills and convince men that they should be part of the solution to end sexual assault. And so how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. 
And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That was really having that sort of target audience expertise is really what, why the White House called us. And of course, we we jumped right in. And and from from that project, it sort of started the collective agency's love for doing social good campaigns. And we started, you know, since started a, a, a group called the Creative Alliance, which is 90 companies from agencies to brands to media platforms that all come together to, um, you know, fight anti-hate and discrimination, uh, serve, serve to move education forward, gender equality. So there's sort of these pillars that we believe in. And it's this massive group that does uh, pro bono campaigns. So it's been really, really rewarding. I love it. 
I love it. That's great. Really, really awesome. I always tell entrepreneurs who are starting companies that I really believe that consumers buy from uh, from not only products that they love, but also if you have a backstory, you should really get it out there and tell people your why. Um, how do you find like stories within large companies, right? Is it tough? Is it like, I mean, how do you, you know, the, I guess most of them, these large companies, in many cases, especially in CPG, maybe their founders are no longer around, or maybe the story isn't that great. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you try and find you know, the right story to actually tell. Yeah, that's always challenging. And there's, I think there's sort of like three ways that, that stories come to life. One is, which you mentioned, which, you know, would be your story, which is really founder led. Like what, why did the fact, why did the original founders, even if they're no longer there, start the company? What problem were they trying to solve? What were they trying to do in the marketplace? That's sort of one, one story. Another story that you can lean into is, you know, if you take a brand like Shinola, which makes, you know, wallets and watches and jewelry, they're, uh, they don't really have a story from a founder perspective per se, but they are all about Detroit. They're about the community in which they make their products. And they're about the Detroit Renaissance and bringing that community back. And so that's a story that they tell. They put Detroit on everything. They, you know, made in Detroit. They wear that that badge really proudly. They hire um, in Detroit. They make the products there. So they're they're sort of like the founder reason why you developed it. It can be a community story, or it could be a story that you evolve into. Like say, um, you know, Levi's now is doing a huge push to um, bring down the amount of water that they use in their products, and that's their sort of core thing that they believe in. Obviously, they have the pioneering story and the gold miner story as a backdrop as well. But their next story is all about how they make the product. So it can be, you know, founder led reason for existing, maybe the community that you serve or, or where you're based. And then it can also be uh, a new story of why you're trying to change the world. You know, Apple's trying to make their products from recycled materials. A company like Patagonia wants to do no harm to the environment. So it can really evolve. So you really need to find that story and it's either there or some, like a company that we work with is Charles Schwab, financial services company. Obviously they're heavy into uh, you know, profit and, and markets and making money uh, for their investors, but they're also doing a lot with financial literacy and they believe that everyone should have the power of investing and understand uh, financial literacy. So there's there's a story there that you can unearth. So there's always something. I, I'd say the mistake that brands make is that sometimes if they don't have a story, they will just jump to whatever is happening. They'll be trend based. So whatever is happening in the public eye, whether it's you know gay rights, whether whether it's uh, gender equality, they, they'll just sort of issue hop. And I think that's really damaging. Because you're just trying to, it, it's so so obvious and sh and inauthentic because you're trying to just ride the wave of of you know cultural sentiment and you're not doing something that's inherent and core to the brand. So you can't really change your story a lot over time, and you can't really issue hop because that's inauthentic. I totally agree. It's it's funny. I have a 
few teenagers in my house. And whenever I like want a sanity check about like, you know, something that we're working on, it, it's, uh, you know, they'll be the first to tell us like, no, that you can't do that. And they, you know, they sort of, they so get it in terms of like what is and, and what isn't, um, even if I, you know, am sort of trying to check it. So I always tell entrepreneurs like find those teenagers out there. Cause they're not afraid to tell you that something is just like, so off, <laughs> right. Off the mark. And there, there's no better bullshit detector out there than a teenager. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. So it's funny. My, um, my, uh, dad ages ago, um, launched a brand within a large company called healthy choice. Um, and he was, yeah actually at armor food company at the time. And then they were acquired by ConAgra. And so he sort of grew up inside of, of ConAgra, but it's, it's funny. Uh, he used to tell me when I was really, really little, um, that, uh, you know, he'd talk about the shrimp fishermen off of the coast of Georgia, off of St. Simon's Island and how they went out at like three o'clock in the morning and, you know, they would, pretty much never have breakfast with their kids because they wanted to actually supply consumers with great fish. And that was like the best time to get the shrimp. And, um, and so for years, ConAgra was actually, they put that on the package and, you know, it's fascinating because I, you know, look back and I say my, like my dad, I mean, this was, you know, way long ago in the seventies really got it. Like he understood the sort of art of storytelling and why, how important it was and especially in CPG world. So yeah, it anyway. shows you, I remember healthy choice and it shows you, you know, the, the power of a, of a strong name, you know, you know exactly what that name stands for when you hear it. And, uh, it, it was, I mean, that was wildly popular. It's impressive. He started that. Yeah, no, it's crazy. But anyway, I want to go go back to you. So mechanism. So what what sort of drove you to start this? I mean, obviously, you know, storytelling, you must have loved that. But what was kind of the, you know, meet the the really, you know, epiphany for you that said, I need to go start this? I had worked at many uh, different agencies. And I think, you know, agencies are essentially in any creative endeavor like that is essentially really just a collection of people and how they hang together. There's nothing, nothing more to it than that. Um, and what drives the way people hang together is culture. And I was getting to a point in the advertising industry, you know, this is probably about 14 years ago, where I was feeling that it was driven by ego and politics. And that's not to say all agencies were run like that. I just happened to work at a few. And the idea, the impetus was, I feel like I've learned the craft. I feel like I could do this as well. But I'd like to do it in a culture that is supportive, non-political, optimistic. Uh, we assume our clients are, are geniuses, not that we have to save our clients. And so I just sort of was getting it was getting a little grossed out at like the the work uh culture and so it was really driven with and started with a few friends and it was really driven by let's do the work but let's and let's do it as best we can and do it slightly differently but let's do it in an environment that's enjoyable and fun and respectful and that was really sort of the genesis behind the company that's awesome that's great so how many people are you now uh, we're about 220. 
we're about we're about the same size and it's uh in about almost the same number of years too so it's uh yeah isn't it crazy how long it takes it takes a long time yeah it, you know it's funny i i always uh you know tell people they're like wow especially coming i was in tech before and you know 14 years seems like an eternity especially when you talk to tech people and um you know i always tell people that in the uh I always feel great when I hear the vitamin water story that I think by year 14, uh, Darius had uh, gone bankrupt twice and, uh, you know, lots of lots of sort of milestones that haven't happened to me yet. So I, I, you know, I I'm like, look, you know, great brands take a long time. There's very few overnight you know, wonders and successes. And I think it's the same with advertising. I mean, it's, it really, it takes a while to build and, you know, really do great work overall. It does. It takes a, takes a long time. And when people don't, you know, now hint or mechanism, you know, it it either, whatever uh, you do as an entrepreneur, when people start to hear about you, it seems like it was overnight, but it was, you know, really a decade plus of grinding it out to get there. A hundred percent. So unless you're starting with some crazy idea and you're trying to flip it and you've got a ton of VC money and you can scale it really quick, that that's a different way to go. So I know you're working, I mean, you've worked with, you know, great brands, I'll name Peloton just to name yeah. one that is more of a, you know, kind of e-commerce play. Um, but then you've got other brands that are really focused on, you know, sort of more digital and branding. What would you say to, you know, like a, I get this question probably every other day from lots of big brands who are trying to figure out how to go, you know, direct and, and into e-commerce. What would you say is sort of the biggest thing, you know, from a branding standpoint that you should think about? From a branding standpoint for a DTC brand or a brand in general? Uh, well, a, a brand that wants to become a DTC brand. Yeah. So, you know, that's, yeah, so many brands want to do that, make that pivot now. And I would say that the hardest thing is that you have to think about, like a brand like Peloton, which started that way, when we're doing any kind of advertising, we've been working with them for four years. When they started, you're selling a $3,500 bike at the time and a new category to people that don't really understand what it is. And there's nowhere to buy it except by driving traffic to their website. And so you have to create emotional advertising that is also direct response advertising at the same time. And it's all about clicks. And so when a brand, a large brand that's successful wants to pivot, the marketing becomes so much harder because you're not just building brand affinity and then, you know, you're not doing the funnel work where, you know, you're reminding them and it's frequency. And then when they go in the store, you know, you have a competitive advantage because they know your brand better than another brand. You have to really balance creating a story with emotion that also results in a, in a you know, someone taking the time to go seek you, go to your site, click and buy it. And that is a very, very different and harder skill to master. And so I think when brands think they'll just like switch over to that, um, it, it becomes really challenging. It becomes really, really hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's interesting when we, we started off 
even though I had experience in e-commerce, we started off as a brand that just sold in, in stores. And, you know, the, the age old sort of question is, is this going to cannibalize existing business? And we've seen just the opposite. I mean, since we actually went online and, you know, we're our ads on Facebook are clearly not pure brand or digital. It's they're, you know, sending consumers to our website. There's a lot of consumers that still want to buy our product at Kroger or Target or, you know, just pick it up inside of a, you know, Google or whatever. And and I think it's it's um, you know, it it really they it really is the omni-channel approach of of making sure that you know, the consumer knows that they're in control of where they buy, but, you know, it's definitely a, a, uh, you know, it can be, it can be helpful to the, to the offline world for sure. But I think there are, I always feel like there are things that, that these brands don't really understand if they don't have a backend operation set up, including picking and packing a box for the consumer that's acceptable and weight in the case of beverages for us that they really have to take into account that is not easy. And there's a lot of challenges with it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sounds a lot easier than it is, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. The shipping and do consumers want to pay for shipping and are they used to not paying for shipping and then depending on where you're sold, how much margins, you know, the seller is going to take, are you doing it all on your website? Like, obviously, is it more beneficial? I don't know if you can, you know, go into that, detail but where the consumer buys it like if they buy it on amazon versus on your site does that have a a a market impact on on the bottom line no i mean the only impact it has is that you know we can communicate with the customer that buys on our website so when we you know launch it not every store carries all of our flavors for example so when we launch you know special flavors or um that we have some flavors that that will never make it to the store that we call smash ups where we'll just put you know cherry and raspberry together and um those end up selling out in like 24 hours and in some cases we'll test them you know on our website and then we'll decide wow that was really fast and let's launch it at target or another store so but it's interesting that you say this i mean i i always say to people like People, my consumer actually writes to me and has this, has such a relationship with Hint that they, not every consumer, but many consumers have written me saying like, do you care where I buy your product? Is it better for you if I'm buying it, you know, at Target or on your site or on Amazon? And, you know, I'm, I'm like, wow, like that's so interesting that they care enough to actually ask me, you know, is it going to help me? Right. Like what brands, I mean, that's a sticky consumer, right? That's a consumer that like actually cares about you. Like I bet many of the large soda companies never get those emails, right? Like it's, it's a crazy kind of concept. There's no way, there's no way they would get those emails. Right. (laughs) And it's, it's crazy. And, and my response, of course, is no, like you buy it wherever you want. Like we want all of our channels to be successful. And, you know, and so, you know, the, the downside for us is that we can't control pricing. So, 
you know, on Amazon, for example, some days it's going to be one price and some days it's going to be another price. And, you know, same with Target and some others. I mean, if they're, you know, they change their algorithm changes and, you know, that's what happens. And so, you know, as a brand, that's the challenge of working through different channels beyond your own. Like they can sell your product for whatever they want. Yeah. And, and you can't do anything about it. So, but you know, that's our problem. It's not the consumer's problem. And I, and I always tell consumers go find, you know, the best price go, you know, and our promise to consumers is that every single thing that we do at hint is on our site at drinkhint.com. But beyond that, you know, no, I mean, it's, it doesn't, you know, help other than, you know, their ability, we can market to them and, and, etc. So, but that's it. But okay. So yes, the one thing and start go back 13 years, maybe, maybe nine years, whatever. What is the one thing that you would have done differently in building your company? That is such a great question. The one thing that I would do differently. Okay. I mean, it's been said before, so it's not, it's not some breakthrough idea that, that you haven't heard. But I think when you're starting a business, you tend to be, you know, penny wise and pound foolish with talent. And I think you hire people that are almost good enough or have almost the right experience because it's, you know, 20 grand cheaper here, 30 grand cheaper here, 40 grand cheaper here. And that adds up over time. But when you get the right people, it, you know, turbocharges your business. And I think you'd rather have less resources, but have all the resources be highly, highly talented than have more resources that you're spending a lot of energy trying to get right or aren't working out. And so I think when we were, you know, not quite as big and didn't have 25 brands we worked on and we were going project to project, I was a little more in the mindset of um, making every dollar count because we're self-funded. We had no investment money whatsoever. So it's all from the founders. And that I would have changed. I would have made bigger bets on the right people earlier, which would have saved a lot of time and energy. I think that's 100% what we've seen as well. I also believe, though, that when you're finding talent, it doesn't necessarily mean where they've worked or how many years experience they've had. I think that those, at least for our business, like that, that's kind of you know, it's a combination of people that get it and people who are smart, but also people who have that passion to just dig in and figure it out. So true. I I mean, yeah, talent isn't, they've done this role for 10, you know, they're, they're the operations person that has 10 years experience. You know, it can be the right cultural fit with a hunger to learn. And, you know, they're really intelligent. Like, you know, we've seen people rise through the ranks really quickly. So it's, it's, it's not always experience led, but you know, when that spidey sense goes off and someone's a little less expensive and you just kind of say, well, it'll be okay. Your spidey sense is always right. And it's yeah. never, it's never worth it. No, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's totally that's, correct. Yeah. That's what I wish we did. It took us a long time to learn it. Now, now we're experts at it. Um, I, I personally interview every hire, even if it's for 20 minutes, it's, you know, the team's vetted them and I just make sure I have uh, a sort of cultural chem- chemistry meeting with them just to make sure. Because if you get a couple 
folks that are that are off or are you know political by nature or hide information or you know pit people against each other it throws it throws the whole it's like a jenga you know it's like a jenga piece when you pull it out it's like the whole thing just crumbles so um it's really really critical that you get that culture piece right that's, I totally agree. So that point may fall into this next question, but what's the best advice you ever received? Uh, well, you know, the, I think the best advice, and um, I actually have this in, um, in a book that I wrote that's coming out. I really, I, I kind of heard this and I ignored it and I got this advice and now I really, really believe it, which is, you know, never try to sell something you wouldn't buy yourself. And we have done experiments with investing in products, you know, doing some sort of side hustles within the company when, and an example is when, if you remember when Vine was really big and it was sort of Twitter's video platform Yeah. And, and we had created, we spent a bunch of money to create this tech that allowed you, it was a site that allowed you to search through vines because vines were impossible at the time to search through and you couldn't find categories and content. So we spent a, you know, had a lot of developers created this searchable thing. We hope we would launch it and, it, and Twitter or some other company would come along and buy it because it was really smart. And I never really got vine personally. I didn't really see the need when you have, when you have YouTube and Twitter is a, is a really platform for, you know, the written word and communicating and, you know, short uh, opinions and, and a one-to-one -one kind of way to talk to famous people, celebrities, influencers, whoever, com comrades on, online. And I didn't see it, but I was convinced to spend a lot of money to invest in this product. And the, ultimately, uh, Twitter shut down Vine shortly after we launched and we just wasted all, all of our time and energy and, and pulled a lot of resources to build this thing. And so what, what that, that's when that advice really hit me, like never, never sell something that you wouldn't buy yourself. And if you don't believe in it in your core and people convince you of it, you really just as a leader of a company, as an entrepreneur, you have to listen to that gut. And just like, I always think about that mantra. I always think about it when I'm pitching ideas to clients or selling something to a client is you have to believe in it or you shouldn't be trying to sell it in any way. I 1000% agree. So yeah. I think, you know, I hear from entrepreneurs all the time that, you know, they're chasing products that they've seen out there and they want to develop a product just because they've, you know, they believe that that company's made it big and they can go do it. And the first question I always ask is like, you know, would you drink it? Like, does it taste good? Um, at least in the case of beverages. And it's amazing how many actually say, well, no, it's not really for me. And yeah. I think, God, how, you know, I don't know. I also think entrepreneurism is, is something that, you know, you can make a lot more money. I'm sure you would agree doing, you know, other stuff besides being an entrepreneur. It takes a long time to really make it be something and, and, uh, easier ways to make money. Yeah, there's faster ways to make money. It's a long haul. And it's a long haul and you don't even know the payoff at the end. And sometimes it's nothing. But yeah, no, 100%. So, so you mentioned the book. So can you yeah. talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. So my first book comes out September 10th. It's called The Soulful Art of Persuasion, published on Random House. I'm really excited about it. It was about a three-year project. 
And the, the concept behind it is if I, it started sort of an idea of selling and pitching. And when you're, when you work in an advertising agency, you're in this microscope of, you know, you're as, and as an entrepreneur, you're selling and pitching your team to follow you, you know, day in and day out. Then you take the concepts and you have to sell them to a client who has to buy the idea and buy the strategy. Then you have to launch it and put it out in the world and convince the consumer, you know, for, you know, buy this Ben and Jerry's new product innovation that we're launching or a Peloton bike or switch to Charles Schwab or watch this HBO program. So you're convincing your team, you're convincing clients, and then you're convincing ultimately the consumer who has the purchasing power. And if I, you know, over 20 years in the business, I learned a lot of skills that I think are not taught um, today and are a little bit counterintuitive. And so I put those into a book and uh, researched a ton with psychologists, with universities. So there's a lot of psychology in there, pop culture references, and created 11 habits that I think make people influential and able to persuade. And a lot of these are character-based habits, some of which we started talking about, that are really for business success, but also I think for personal growth. And you know, I'll give you one example is there's a chapter called Never Be Closing. And the the adage in sales is uh, ABC, you know, from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing, always look for closing that deal, get signed on the dotted line. And that's really an old school way of thinking. And today it's really about relationship building, playing the long game, looking at things that will pay off down the road. And it's getting out of that transactional mindset that really, you know, both in your relationships and in business that I think pays dividends. And it's where, where the world is. And we live in a world now, we're in such an age of distrust with just polarizing viewpoints and bipartisan bickering and fake news and I think more than ever, I'm really proud of, of this idea that soulful people and people that really understand themselves, they're original, they look at things, they play the long game. Those are the people that are the most successful over time. I so, love it. So the soulful art of persuasion, I just, as you were talking, I just went on Amazon and bought it. Oh, and, thank uh, you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, and I, I'm uh, I can learn a few things from you. So I uh, just uh, got a book deal myself. So oh, it'll be sometime you. next year. So and uh, I'm, I'm very excited. It's a it's a whole world that I knew nothing about, and uh, am am a quick study or learner on on this whole topic. So I'm excited for you. That's great. Are you, uh, are you allowed to talk about your project? Yeah, I mean it's it's Harper Leadership is uh yeah i mean it's it's you know in many ways sort of could be a good uh tie in with with your book i mean it's really it's talking about you know just characteristics that i've seen over the years but also you know really believing in yourself and your journey and putting stakes in the ground and you know just a lot of just overall in, in what i've seen with the building of hint but also just the building of myself and, and, you know, yeah, they're, linked people, together. Yeah. they're very, they're very much linked together. And, and, uh, you know, it's lessons as I, you know, part of what I, the reason I do unstoppable is I feel like, you know, I'm so lucky and so fortunate to be able to talk to so many people that other people can't. And, mm -hmm. you know, they just don't have the same opportunities that I have. And so I try and, 
you know, get the interviews with these people out there. And, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, just as a overall sort of give back, that's, that's kind of what I want to do too. And I'm, I'm thinking of the book in the same way that I feel like there's so many lessons, you know, that friends of mine will call me and they'll be like, you know, you have four kids. Like, how do you do this? Like, how do you run a business? And like, that's growing so fast. How do you hire people? Like all of these things. And I thought, you know what, I need to just start writing. And I did uh, two years ago and then finally presented it. And, you know, I always, that'll be part of my book too, that I, I say like, you know, people are like, of course you got a book deal. And I said, listen, there were plenty of people that said no. And, you know, I finally just ended up getting the right one that really was going to be producing and, you know, publishing the book that I really wanted to write. That's Um, awesome. Is it going to be unstoppable? I don't, it it will be unstoppable. I'm not sure that that's going to be the title, but we'll, we'll see. We're, we're still kind of working on, on the title of it. So I should know a lot more in the next couple of weeks, but, but we'll keep you posted, but I'm really excited to get your book. And I briefly scanned, uh, I'm a huge David Bowie fan too. So I can't wait to uh, see, you know, that in there as well and hear more about sort of his journey. It sounds like there's a, there's a bit on that. Yeah, so David Bowie, I'll just talk about it briefly, but when I was growing up, he was sort of the, he was like my musical idol, and uh, in learning more about him and reading a ton up up on, on David Bowie, he really sort of paved the way to letting people be themselves and fly their freak flags, and you know, you weren't sure if he was male or female or you know what or what what which which direction he was going he always created new characters he was you know just such a, a risky musician and when he started and he actually had his first job was in advertising which he soon quit but when he started he was pumping out albums that his record label wanted him to make and they were making him into a folk uh you know boring folk singer like uh, Bob Dylan, not that Bob Dylan's boring, but he was emulating Bob Dylan, which wasn't him. And he quit the label and went on this sort of journey into, uh, he he went to a Buddhist monastery, he created an arts lab, he studied mime, he created all these ways to really find himself. And once he found himself, he became the original that he is. And I think, you know, that sort of really resonated with me and and to be successful both personally and in business you really have to lean into what makes you you and not shy away from it or cover up the the messy parts but really lean into the whole thing the whole ball of wax that makes you who you are and um so i talk a lot about how i learned that from him and he's been a real role model i love it i love it well listen we're gonna uh end on that note but just one other Quick question. How can we support you? Where can we find you online? You can check me out on, uh, I'm, I'm at Jason underscore Harris on Twitter and Instagram. The website is the soulful art.com. Uh, you can check out more on, on the book there. And, uh, uh, yeah, would love to hear from anyone. And this has been a real, real great conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Good. All right. Perfect. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much. like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. 
Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.